0: This is David Tarkington, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Orange Park, Florida. Thank you for downloading this sermon. For any other information or questions you may have, please go to firstfam.org or give us a call at 904-264-2351. you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and as you you do, I mean chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 2. And as you do, I'm going to ask if you would uh, just stand up and join us as we read this together, as I read it to us. Uh, Just a short passage today, beginning in verse 8. We actually looked at verse 8 last week, but I'm going to back up to verse 8 again and begin there and read through verse 15. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church there in Ephesus through the pastor named Timothy, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You're getting that. I don't think you were thankful for that passage. That's what I'm thinking. So go ahead and be seated. I think that was the issue. Go ahead and be seated because I, yeah, I I looked down as I read looking up to see who was still here when we finished. So there we go. It's good. It's good. Welcome to perhaps the most controversial, confusing, and challenging passage in the New Testament, at least, that we've read in a long time. And and, and outside of end times theological debates, this one uh, becomes a a, a fun one for us today. So we delve into this letter uh, written by an apostle of God to a young pastor of a newly birthed church comprised of people, both men and women, who love the Lord and seek to honor him, at least mostly as well as those who have joined the church under false pretenses, who do not love the Lord, nor do they seek to honor them, but love themselves greatly and seek to honor themselves. There are those in the church that are teaching heresy. There are those that are seeking to bring glory to themselves alone, and it is... In this church that Paul is addressing such very serious things. We're only in chapter 2 because chapter 1 was just right out of the gate. Let me tell you how to, to address some of these issues, Timothy. Because they were very real and they were very divisive. Now the church that Timothy is pastoring is located. It, it, you know, we talk about church history and we think about our church here at First Baptist. We have this long, one hundred and one, one hundred and 100, 102 year history, whatever the math is now. And we think, wow, we've been here a long time. That's a that's a great thing. And um, we've had some. You know, we probably had out of those hundred plus years, we probably had thirty really good ones. And um, that's just counting when I showed up. So I'm just, I'm just kidding. But 100 years isn't really a long time, but we do have a lot of history, a lot of of really good history, a lot of really not so good history because we're full of people. That's what happens. But you look at the church in Ephesus that Timothy was pastoring, they didn't have a 100 year history. Everybody in the room is a founding member and nobody's grandparents were in the church before they were born. I mean, it's that young of a church, right? So everything is new to the body that is gathered. We have been blessed. It is a great gift to have a heritage. It really is. I think sometimes people miss that. It's a gift to have a heritage. It's a gift to have history. And so as you look at that, realizing in this church in Ephesus, it's a city defined by their paganism. That's what they're known for. They're known by uh, idolatry and false gods. They're known by their immorality. I mean, long before Vegas and everything else shows up, uh, Sin City existed, folks. So just so you know. And whatever we define as Sin City today paled in comparison to much of what was existing in the time of Christ or the time of the early church here. And so that's where Paul is writing this. And he's addressing issues that cannot be ignored. And so this letter is a letter to a pastor. It, it's a one-to-one letter. But it's not just a letter to a pastor because it was read in its entirety to the congregation, to the body. And so it's a letter to a church through the pastor. And the intent of the letter is to bring glory to God and for the, bring good to the church. But, but it is more than just a, a, a letter from an apostle named Paul. Now there are those historians and really smart people and anthropologists and those who have studied much, who have been studying and are experts and have PhDs in first century history, and they will see Paul as just one of many Jewish scholars living in the era at the time. And that's their, their worldview. I mean, that's, that's, you, everybody starts and comes from, from some perspective, and that's what they see. Though, therefore, they see his writings as simply his writings framed primarily by his cultural uh, understanding of where he lived in the Roman Empire and where he came from in a, in a, in a Jewish background and that, that Hebrew understanding <clears throat> of, of life. And so many who are defining who he is and reading what he wrote and re- looking at it now are saying that he's nothing more than another Jewish historian framed by the patriarchy of Jewish culture and Roman society. Thus, everything you read has to be understood. Now, I will give you this, that context matters it always matters. But this is this is a, a bridge too far right here. There are others who actually see and read the words that we read here attributed to Paul by the hand of God. But they see them edited by numerous church councils filled with church leaders throughout history who have been chosen just to, to make it fit the continuation of a man-centered cultural viewpoint regarding patriarchy and cultural gender roles. So that's out there too. But then there are those who would say that the Word of God is inerrant. The Bible itself is without error. It is immutable, never changing. It is forever right, and it's holy. And to line it up as just another book is missing the point. So I don't say that necessarily to get an amen, as as is proven, but that is a foundational statement regarding my viewpoint. A high calling to be a shepherd of a local congregation means that for every word brought behind this table to you, I will be held greatly accountable. It's the same reason not everybody ought to be teaching a class, because the accountability ramps up. Not everybody should be teaching children especially because that accountability ramps up. And yet when it's a calling and it's God's design and it's what's needed, we are in a position to do nothing else. So I tell you this because it's foundational for me. And I would give you this, that my viewpoint on what the word of God means was certainly impacted by those that taught me as a child. In the various churches that I was a member of, As my dad was in the military and we moved, when I was a child, we moved to numerous places. I was taught by a pastor in a church in Mississippi. I had a Sunday school teacher in Texas. I had another Bible study leader in Ohio. I had a senior adult deacon who would take me fishing in Ohio uh, when my dad was working overtime. And he would spend time talking to me. And I had numerous people pour their their understanding of God's greatness and his glory into me. So I am not, not impacted by that. But I praise God for that. But I also believe what I am sharing about the inerrant and immutable Word of God given to us to read and study today and to preach from based on my own faith in God and my own study of the Word and my own reliance on His Holy Spirit's guidance. I do not speak of something I do not believe. I do not speak of something that I have not looked at. I did not just open up the Bible this morning and say, hey, what's a good sermon to preach today? This has been prayed over and studied. And while I may not be, get everything 100% accurate when it comes to language and other things. I do believe the Word of God is 100% accurate, and that is what we rely upon today. So, and I know there are some really smart people that I am really good friends with that would say, well, you know, yeah, but you're misunderstanding this and misinterpreting that, and we can disagree and not be disagreeable, but we're going to hold fast to this truth. We we read Paul, and I get this a lot because people just don't like Paul. I guess they like Peter. They don't like Paul. Oh, you can't like both of them. I like Peter and Paul and, and Almond Joy and Mounds and all of them. So I like all of that. So, <laughs> Sorry. But Paul, people say, well, that's just Paul. That's just the old patriarch, the old angry Jew. He probably this, that, and the other. He's always this and that and the other and talking about what he, what he believes and gender roles. But here's what I believe as we have been given and gifted the word of God to have it before us. In so many different formats, digital and paper and numerous translations today, that we are not just reading Paul. In fact, we're not reading Paul. We're reading God. And through God and his Holy Spirit and his inspiration and the sealing of this teaching given to us by God, for God, and about God, we seek to know how we must live but, but let me just make sure you get this. While there are behavioral changes necessary in the life of a believer, Christianity is not behavior modification at its core. That is not simply all there is. There is a pharisaical legalistic kind of teaching that says we're going we're to change your behavior and hope your heart changes. I think Christianity is the other way around. I think the heart transforms and the behavior follows the heart. I don't think you can be guilted into being good. But I do believe the Holy Spirit of God does this. So, I hope and pray that we do not miss that today. And so, men and women, boys and girls, young people, listen today, not to me because I'm something, but to God through His Word because He is everything. And He loves you. And just as no child is an accident, let me just go ahead and just go a little deeper into this, into this cultural understanding in case it's confused. No child is an accident. No boy is an accident. No girl is an accident. And no boy or girl is a boy or girl by accident. Identity is so much more than the latest hashtag political trope that we're trying to figure out. It's based on how God has wired us. So join me in just a brief prayer for wisdom. God, I ask for your wisdom today. You say we ask, we receive, that's what we seek. Help us to read your word as men and women and boys and girls seeking truth. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see and speak to us. Lord, we know you speak to us, so help us to hear you well. In Jesus' name I pray few passages of scripture cause so much confusion as the one I just read. Theologians have debated the verb tenses, word, word meanings, medieval scholarship, original languages, contextual clues, centered teachings, and more on this passage for many, many years. Certainly for centuries, but maybe, let me just go ahead and declare that, that while theologians and Bible scholars and teachers and people struggling with this have debated it for centuries, it has ramped up in the last 50 years to a level it has never been in history. We certainly live in the world. You've heard live in the world, but not of the world. I mean, that's kind of a nice little bumper sticker theology, right? Augustine called it the city of God, the world, or city of man, I mean. But we're not of the city of man, we're not of the world. Sticking to Augustine's teachings, that means we are actually, as believers, as Christians, and I'm speaking to the church, so unbelievers, thank you for listening, but to the church, listen well. We are citizens of the city of God. That is a good reminder today as we exist in a world gone mad. That usually doesn't get, doesn't get any uh, uh, c- conflict. People agree with that at all levels and on all ends of the spectrum. Yet even knowing that the world is our mission field... And knowing that we are to live on mission to, with the great commission to spread the gospel so that even more may hear the truth, we cannot ignore the reality that our of the world avoidance is rarely effective. In the world, but not of the world, what that sometimes does is give people holy permission to holy huddle so they never talk to anybody that's not already a believer anymore. It's dangerous to live in an echo chamber, even if they're all Christians. Just so you know. We are all impacted by what's going on around us. We are affected by such. You cannot be ignoring that and the influence that is there. Everybody has a space in our brain, in your brain, that has been leased to the world. And thus sometimes our thoughts and our worldviews left our own devices. And our own personal philosophy of me-centeredness ends up not being a biblical worldview regardless how many perfect attendance ribbons you earned in church. We, the world, in the world, not of the world, sometimes gets flipped. And sometimes it infiltrates the church. World-centeredness. What does it mean, or what does this have to do with this portion of Paul's letter? I think it has to do a whole lot with this letter, especially just this portion. Because just reading that passage about the roles of men and women in the church have already caught some of you into a place of of an uncomfortable feeling where emotions are now going, and I'm not quite sure you're still hearing me. Questions regarding gender come to the surface. Appropriate roles in society, in the home and in the church for men and women arise. What's appropriate, what's not? What ought to be done, what ought not to be done? Who said? Why is this the way? The New Testament teachings in another letter, by the way, regarding marriage are also considered when you look at this. And the illustration of Christ as the groom and the church as his bride are prominent and right and holy and good. But it flies into the face of our cultural understanding of the right to marry, Or what marriage even is now some of you are thinking oh he's talking about gay marriage well sure but i'm also talking about christians who shack up (laughs) we used to live in a a hud apartment when we were in texas because we didn't have any money but we got into that apartment and uh, we were paying the minimum and, uh, and Tracy and I, we loved it because we had our own place. It was great. It was a little second-floor apartment. It was, it was a one-bedroom apartment. Uh, rent was cheap. And we had great neighbors. Uh, we, 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 they were all in their 80s, the 80s ladies. It was like living with the Golden Girls, right? So there was one below us. And, they, I mean, they're, and they're, they're, their little uh, sweet honeys would keep coming over. And I'm like, what is going on over here? I'm like you know. Grandma's got a boyfriend and another boyfriend, but she don't want to marry him, she said, because she'd lose the social security. So her morality was dependent on her bank account. And I thought, well, that's interesting because most people I know just get mad at teenagers for that, but now we're talking about, we ignore the grandparents that do it. That's a sermon for another day. I didn't even get to that. Let's go on him. All right, so this fun stuff. This is so fun. Hmm. Fun. Fun's a word I use when it's not fun. All right. Um, so when you say, what, what are you? at our core, identity is real. Identity is so important. And who are you? Whose are you? What are your roles in life? What's expected and who expects it? Who defined the expectations? Who came up with that? Feminism versus patriarchy. Uh, say there are appropriate roles for men and women. Well, who made that up? And what about those who claim to be of God but have abused roles? I mean, just think about that. Think about the men of God who have abused their positions in such a way to spiritually and sexually and immorality abuse others in their congregation. I mean, think about that mess. What about parenting roles? What should the husband do? What should the wife do? What's appropriate? What's inappropriate? So in a world turned upside down, we need something to hold on to. I don't know if you've ever been to a theme park and rode a roller coaster, but I used to like to ride roller coasters before I hit a certain age. I knew I hit that age when I went on the teacups and I was done. I wasn't even on a roller coaster. But I'm like, man, I'm over this. So um, I tried last time, I think the last one I rode was the Hulk there at Universal. And, uh, I'm, and that was about, you know, 15 years ago. Still, I'm having PTSD moments right now thinking about it. It was terrible. It was terrible. Uh, I mean, I'm the whitest guy you know, but I was even whiter than that then. It was terrible. But here's the thing I know. I'm, I'm almost too tall for some of those. There are roller coasters that go super fast and flip upside down. And those roller coasters have these harnesses that come down over your chest. And I have to fake, I they actually have a sign that says if you're taller than this, you can't ride. Many of you have never have even seen that. But I see it, right? So there's the other one that says you have to be this tall. And all the kids are standing on their toes. And the other one's like this, so walking like that, right? Because <laughs> I want to ride it. I want to ride it. And so I get in it, and they push that thing, and you're, I mean, I'm in. The, this is so much fun, right? And you're going to go 600 miles an hour, throw up, and be, "Hello, oh, I paid for this, right?" So I did the loop, 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 and got off. But I didn't. I couldn't move at all. Now there's, because that thing comes down and it holds you in tight, because of insurance. It's supposed to, and you're thankful for that. Then there are the old wooden roller coasters. I like those too. I used to anyway. Those are fun because all they have is that little metal bar that comes down. And you're bouncing all over the place, right? <laughs> hold your hands up, wedge your leg in. I mean, you're hoping you don't fall out. It's a little more risky. But they too have that bar on your legs because they know if you don't have something to hold on to or something holding hold you in, this could end in a, in a difficult way for you. And so in a world that seems to be going so fast all the time, and looping upside down when you don't expect it, and causing sharp turns to the right and to the left, we all need something to hold on to. And better than that, we need something holding on to us. It may be a fun ride, but you want to make it through. God's word is that, and and so much more. It's that which we hold on to for truth. It is that which holds us in. So here in this passage, we see Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, giving God's instruction to a pastor of a church for the people who are rattled and messed up because their worldview lines up with the pagans and the idolaters and the immoral more than it does with Scripture. And they are confusing diatribes by the super smart to be discipleship from the Word of God. So trusting God is this, we say this is the word of God because it truly is. And thanks be to God for that. Now I've gone back two verses, and I'm going to quickly run through the end of this. And let me just say, this is like an eight-week Bible study that we're going to try to do in just a few minutes. Those that get so caught up on the roles of men and women in the church and fight about it and divide denominations and go conservative, liberal, moderate, however you want to define it, miss this ultimately first. This is not about men. Verse 8, I desire that every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Well, I'm going, well, it is about men. It says that. Well, it's a prescriptive verse right here, right? This is what men should do. They should pray. Men should pray. Men shouldn't lead in silent prayer. They should pray. They shouldn't be passive in the church. They should pray. They should quit staying home and sending their wives. They should pray. This is expected. But this is not just about men. This is not a manhood issue. Now, I've led the battle-ready men's retreats and the men's studies and all that, but let me just go ahead and say that we may have just really messed up Christianity in America by over-masculinizing some of our teaching in order to not be what we grew up with. Let me just say, biblical manhood does not mean you just necessarily hang out with a bunch of macho guys, eat barbecue around a campfire, go hunting, smoke cigars, and act like you're real men together while you burp out loud. That's not biblical manhood. I'm not saying that's sinful. I'm just saying it really, really minimizes what scripture says to elevate it to, I don't know, youth camp for big boys but neither is biblical manhood an overly feminized, weak, kind of pansy version that's what led to that. So it's not Mr. Rogers and it's not John Wayne. The giver of life is God. The sustainer of life is God. The hope we have is in him alone, thus the bride of God Christ, us, the church, his family of redeemed children adopted through the blood of his one and only son, forgiven and transformed are to pray apparently. That's what it says. And who should lead the prayer? Well, who should set the pace? Men of God, accordingly to this passage, that's us. That doesn't mean women don't pray. It likely means women have been doing such a good job praying, men have just abdicated their responsibility. I mean, Southern Baptists have basically let, uh, abdicated the responsibility for mission work. That's why you have a Lottie Moon and an Annie Armstrong offering, not a Larry Moon and an Ed Armstrong offering. Thank God for Lottie and Annie. But I mean, let's figure out what's happened here. Men should lead, And to be more succinct, this is a word to the elders in the church, the office that will be defined in a sermon to come. The letter for the men of God called out, set apart, qualified, not simply by behavioral choices, but by the protection and the hand of God through the Holy Spirit. Those men pray. See, this is not, this is not a first century business meeting. There was no motion made and no second given. Paul responds and says states, clearly, I desire that in every place, every place the church is gathered, every place the body of Christ is located together, every place the local church is, that the men Who are leading it, the elders should pray in peace and in unity and with open hands, showing total submission and surrender to the God of all creation, overwhelmed by his glory and his goodness. So it's really not about men, it's really about God. And it's really not about women. If you look in verse 9, likewise that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. We looked at this last week briefly. But it's clear and often misunderstood. This is not God saying, throw away your jewelry and do your hair differently. It's Paul using the most common reality that Ephesus, where is Ephesus? Pagan central. Pagan central a city a little to the left of Vegas on the morality scale. And Paul is saying, ladies of the Lord, if your focus is to make sure people notice you, it doesn't mean come to church disheveled and stinky. It means if your focus is you, you have learned much from the women who go to the pagan temples and they have a job there we don't want to talk about. You're missing the point. It's clearly stated. It's really hard to see Jesus when, all, when it's all about you. Now, now let me just, to, to make sure the women aren't totally mad at me at this point. I actually saw a thing on Twitter. Some pastor posted yesterday on Twitter. By the way, Twitter, uh, uh, I don't know, every now and then, you just, it's like peeking into a cesspool and going, ooh, and then you just come back out. He said, women shouldn't wear spandex. It's like pornography. That's what he said. And I'm like, what are you on Twitter doing this for? So then, you know, because you're drug drug, you just read the comments. You know, I don't think men should wear spandex. <laughs> just, just saying. And to quote a very wise person in my life, as my wife would say, just because you can doesn't mean you should. So um, <laughs> dress code issues, man, churches and dress codes, man. Hey, this is, oh, okay, I, 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 got, I got no time, but I'll tell you anyway. So our previous minister of education many years ago named Steve Griffith had to make an announcement back in the 1990s, late 90s, because we had these stairs like this. I'll just tell you the true story. So our teenagers, were, they were praying. We had a praying group of kids, right? So they'd come forward and they'd pray and, and, uh, and and when you pray wearing a nice a skirt, you know you kind of mooning everybody. So, the pastor at the time made Steve make the announcement about you know you need dress code, this that and the other. And he had, So we had a guy in our church. He was a he was a curmudgeon, and so he this old curmudgeon said he started calling Steve, "Hey, dress code." That's what he's known as. You know, it's kind of not a good title for a pastor who God has called to lead you. Hey, dress code, I'm coming to church next week and nothing but a bow tie and underwear. And I said, well, I'm glad he really didn't do it. <laughs> dress codes are a mess. As a former youth pastor, it is it is, a, it is just ridiculous, the dress code thing. So you get all caught up in this. Who are you to say this? Let me just tell you this, ladies. It's not just about ladies. In a world where a pastor of a prominent megachurch can create a website selling spanks and telling other pastors how they need to dress stylishly and an Instagram account called preachers and sneakers gets more hits than anything else in the Christian world showing pastors wearing $3,000 Air Jordans. It's not just women that say, look at me. In Ephesus, that was the most prominent right there, and he dealt with it. For centuries, women have been looked at as objects by the patriarchy. I think you know this, right? So these issues are varied, and the church is not immune, and there was definitely not an equal setting in the Roman Empire. But the bottom line is for those who, want to be, who don't want to be told how to dress and for those who grew up going to youth camps where the youth leaders had rulers in their hands to measure how high over your knee the shorts were, some of you are having little uh, flashbacks. To all the youth leaders who were yelled at by parents who said lovingly, but you don't understand, they don't have swimsuits available in my child's size that are appropriate. They don't have shorts available. I've heard it all. That's why I abandoned being the dress code pastor and went to something more important like the thermostat pastor, right? So I was turning on the air conditioning. Nobody wants to be told how to dress. But here's the deal. If your goal in whatever way you dress is to be seen. It is going to be difficult for others to see Jesus if all they can see is you. For men and women, take this to heart. Oh, and then there's this little nugget. Verse 11, let women learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. This one sets the place on fire. Look at this. Here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say women can't talk. That's not what's being said at all. Remaining quiet is not a Pauline statement of muteness. He is not saying when the woman enters the building, she must shut her mouth and never speak again. That is not what's being said. The word quiet harkens back to when Paul referenced the prayer for a quiet life earlier in this chapter. The tone and extent of the word is revealed. It is not about absolute silence, though some have wrongly sought to make it so. The revelation of the meaning is not about zipping your lip, but about exercising authority over a man, and that offends people too. It's not about allowing all men to lord over all women in their lives in such a way that dishonors God, because there are some really bad guys out there that use that verse out of context to treat their wives and the women in their lives as doormats. That's ungodly. That's not affirmed in this. We'll get into more of that when we have more time. There are there are Christian men who actually seek to use a verse out of context to dehumanize female image bearers of God, creating a second-tier existence for those that were created by God for his glory as female. The word teaches that God calls certain qualified men to positions of overseers in the church. And that is as I see in scripture, reserved for males born as males. Yet not every man is called to be that. So while this speaks of women not teaching with authority, and I don't necessarily mean, I don't even think that has anything to do with classroom Bible studies. You're going to have a hard time finding Sunday school class in scripture under that term. I don't think that has to do with a home Bible study group. But I do believe it refers to the office of pastor, overseer, and elder, all the same office, And there is a submission and a support of the authority of the men God has called to oversee the church that is revealed in that word. Now, some shrink back at that. It may be more of an issue with having anyone in authority over them rather than just men. Some people, and I'll be honest, no human being really likes to say, Oh, someone else be in authority over me. That's our depraved nature. So the question is can women teach? Just a show of hands, anybody here ever go to a public or private school and have a female person by the title of Mrs. or Ms. teach you anything in your life? Anybody here have more women in that position than men? So the answer is kind of revealed that, well, absolutely women can teach. And most everybody has been blessed by women who have taught them. I think of the little kids that sat on the front porch of Mrs. Carrie Clark's house that launched this church eventually. She taught them the Bible. She was never the pastor of this church. Never desired to be. But she taught. I think of Frances Brown who taught me the scriptures with a flannel graph. She wasn't even a very good teacher. Well, I'll put it this way. She had really poor students. (laughs) But God used her to teach me. One of many. So, female image bearers of God have a bestowed identity given to them by God, not chosen by themselves. And it is godly. Women taught in scripture, Timothy's mother and grandmother taught him. The older women are told and instructed and commanded to teach younger women in the book of Titus. You even see an instance with Priscilla and Aquila teaching together Apollos and correcting him at numerous and other numerous points throughout Scripture. So why is Paul all over this and what is prohibited? Here's what's prohibited. The preaching, teaching with authority reserved for the pastor, elder, overseer. This role is reserved for men, but not all men. Sounds arrogant, be the guy saying it, being the one that's up here. But it's the order that God has given us. And let me just say just because you think it ought to be different don't, doesn't mean it ought to be different. I mean, aren't there things that all of us read in Scripture and go, I don't think, I don't know that I like that? And then you read the rest of the Scripture and realize at no point did God ask for your opinion, <laughs> nor was there a vote taken. <laughs> the Word of God must be that harness that comes over us to hold us in. It must be that rail that comes down to hold us down. And we must hold on, for it never changes. Regardless if culture changes. Well, I don't think I agree with that. I, there are millions of people who disagree with the word of God and they're wrong. But by our, God's great love and his compassion, he continues to provide the truth, if we would have ears to hear. So it's not about men. It's not about women. What's it about? God. It's always about God. When our arguments are all about our roles in God's family, we miss that it's not our family, it's God's family. Everybody has roles in the family positions to have I, I am I remember as a kid at Christmas we'd go to my grandparents house and and, and, and I didn't walk in the front door going okay what, what, what's granddad gonna do I knew what he was gonna do he's sitting in that recliner I know what's grandma gonna do well she's over there doing this and what's this gonna do well he's gonna do that and what's I don't know that they ever had a class on roles but our family was blessed to not have me decide it was my responsibility to make everybody Christmas dinner not only was I not qualified I was incapable of pulling it off. Now, that's not a gender thing. It's just kind of a really weak illustration to say all of us in the family of God have specific roles God has given us. And if we miss that it's God's family, we will miss that it's all about him and his glory. Now, I will say this. There have been many people throughout history in this church and others who have messed up God's plans, who have messed up his church and have have ignored his order all the time. But when rightfully ordered, rightfully prayed, and rightfully submitted, God is glorified. And it is always good when God is glorified. So the charge to men in a study that we can't get into deeply today, but I hope you got the basics of it. Men, be the man of God he has created you to be. What does that mean? Well, there's a lot we can get into on that. But a good start is to... Pray with hope in hands, submitting to his lordship over you. Charge to women, be the woman God has called and created you to be. Life is too short for men or women longing to be something they were not meant to be. Each of us are vital and valuable in the family of God. Each are needed and each submitted to the lordship and sovereign God in unity. Bring him glory. We are unapologetically a complementarian church. That doesn't mean we complement each other. That means male and female complement one another in the roles God has designed and divined for them. And by falling into that position, we honor him and we glorify him. And I pray we will glorify him today. It is a little later than I meant, but let me pray a blessing over us. And um, Hey, do you guys know the words to Amazing Grace? Do you know all the words or just the first verse? Just the first verse. We can do a verse. You know that last verse that was added later on that that when we've been there a few Okay, you know that one too. Prepare, you're going to sing it. That's how we're going to close in just a minute. First and last. I would do all of them, but I don't even know all of them. So we're going to have to we'll start with that today. Father, it is good to be here today and you have gifted us with so much. Hard teachings in scripture are hard because we're hard-headed sometimes, so I confess that to you. Help me, Lord, to hear with the ears that you have given me to hear your word through your spirit to know that your intent is not to be confused nor confound, but to reveal your glory. Thank you, Father, for men and women in my life who have been faithful to that calling in different venues, in different areas, but have brought you glory. And Lord, brought me a lot of good. Thank you for that. And I pray, Father, as we close out this morning, that you will bless each individual as a member of this family. And may we honor you in all that we do in Jesus' name. Amen. Shelvin, I changed everything on you. All right. So let's stand together and let's sing the first and last of Amazing Grace because it is so good and so
1: godly. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost But now I am found Was blind But now I see When we've been there 10,000 years When we've been there 10,000 years Bright shining as the sun